Yeah, coffee, water. Yeah, but that hasn't changed with you one bit. <laughs> oh, I was just laughing. Uh, I was literally just going to get the cup going. She wouldn't believe this. I uh, bought some instant coffee. No, um, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> you bought instant coffee. That's against yeah, your religion. <laughs> Dude, it literally, third wave coffee has taken, like, it literally just hit New York, like, within the last eight months six months and so there's finally good coffee here like like there was one spot that i had found a year in it closed down there's just not there's just not great coffee <laughs> like in the same way as it is there and finally they need to like just spend less money i was like i bought tea and that wasn't doing it and so i just bought some like cafe boost uh, it's like this this classic puerto rican brand of coffee i was just like fuck it fuck it <laughs> let's do this so yeah out yeah, of all the training you've gotten at cafes and <laughs> you, you just like ruined it <laughs> you've changed <laughs> Welcome to Don't Cast and Drive. This is your speaker person, Veronica Tyler Christie, sometimes V, and I have the honor of having Daniel Owens with me from the East Coast. Hello. Thank you for joining me on a Saturday morning. <laughs> gladly, gladly. Thank you so much for having me. It's nice to catch up. So for those uh, who don't, who are unsure about Daniel Owens, he is a established trombonist. Uh, he grew up here in the Bay Area, and then he traveled to the other coast over in New York uh, just to kind of further his career. Um, and I've known Dan, I keep saying Danny because I know you as Danny Owens, but he likes to be called Daniel Owens now. So Do it, girl. Do it, girl. It's, his, it's his big boy name. <laughs> Gotta grow up sometime. But anyway, yeah, I've known him since I started school at San Jose State back in 2011. And so he's just been kind of like my big brother through the whole mm -hmm. process. So I'm really lucky to have him here with me today. Thank you so much. That is, yeah, feelings mutual. <laughs> I, appreciate, I appreciate you. Can you, you know, just kind of let the listeners know uh, where and why you started to pick up trombone and then continue with it? Sure. Um, well, I'll go in a little bit of like what I'm, I'm doing out here because it's been trombones with like only one facet of where I'm at now. Um, so, in moving to the, well, yeah, okay. So in moving to the East Coast, I've kind of stepped a little bit away from trombone, playing a lot more piano and synth, and making computer music, um, and letting myself write poetry. I've always written it, and then like that's being bigger part of my broader artistic vision now so i'm doing i'm a multimedia artist established in new york city that is doing video and photo and um multidisciplinary multi-instrumental music <laughs> such a silly new york feeling <laughs> so you're just overall a creative and an artist um so maybe get into more of the type of can we start with like how 
how you got into like poetry is that okay yeah absolutely well uh <laughs> yeah so basically um uh i started having some severe depressive symptoms as we talked about um earlier i i found out relatively recently that i'm uh, an antidepressive and when that first manifested in middle school it was very quickly too much to take and so the way that i found it to get it out was through both trombone and music and poetry and so i started um in middle school i think i was 13 just writing in like a, a five-star notebook that i still own um <laughs> and just always did it it was always a way to like deal with some of the symptoms um of the disease and within the last year had some people around me go wait what the hell is this like what you're this is great and uh, the last six months or so have the opportunity through an uh, artist collective that I run um, for, to perform and had a lot of people be crazy supportive and just kind of tumbled through there and I, now I'm like putting together a book that I want to get published and it just keeps kind of it's like it's like every it's like i keep opening a box and there's a box inside that i'm going wait how am i wait what is it what wait what how where okay <laughs> you're kind of just going like oh there's this thing i want to do but wait there's more there's this other thing i want to do so no that's great i really like hearing that you're finding you know very healthy alternatives to kind of manifest um what you're calling your disease um, yeah. into something that's productive and beautiful. Um, and so I think, and also what's really nice about you admitting that you, you have like kind of like manic depressive, um, episodes is that you're finding ways to cope with it. Um, and which a lot of what I feel that a lot of men aren't really the type to fess up to. Uh, and so it's, it's really great that you're actually like sharing that with me because like it allows other people who are kind of going through the same thing to try to find their own outlets. Um, Thank you. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. it's intent. It's, you know, me as someone who has never really bought into the most of the stereotypes of masculinity of like mm -hmm. the pre-described, but it's weird how much even me as someone who's never really bought into it is also still, um, given that cultural understanding of like mm -hmm. I, it's taken me like, it took me three years to tell my parents that i was diagnosed with it because mm -hmm. you're supposed to feel nothing as a man and if you feel anything you're a failure and are no longer a man and if you can't do things on your own then yeah it's just we go down that whole rabbit hole but thank you very much it was it was difficult it is difficult still and i'm just finding power and vulnerability yeah yeah, well, I'm glad and I'm very proud of you. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, actually, if you don't mind kind of tapping more into your your like home life about it, like it's actually funny. Um, I get, I come from a community where like, you know, we don't really fess up to our own dilemmas. Like if, you know, for example, the whole like, you know, black girl stereotype, if you have an attitude, you have an attitude, not... Like, hey, you seem stressed. You might need to find a way to, you know, find a different way to kind of release that energy. Um, and so 
with my family life, if you're like depressed, it's like, oh, just get up and do something about it. There's no like acknowledgement that you're depressed or if there's someone has like a kind of like a mental illness, they're considered touched. <laughs> and so there's no like active way to say like, this is what they are and this is what we're doing to deal with it. Instead, it's just kind of like brush the side and say there's nothing wrong. So do you want to talk more about like kind of like your upbringing? Sure. Um, upper middle class white people. Um, I was born in LA, grew up in the Central Valley in California, Elk Grove, California, who, for those of you with Google Maps, good luck. Um, <laughs> uh, which, while I was living there, was the fastest growing city in the US. A lot of strange experiences there that have created me as a person. But, I mean, by and large, we just, I dealt with some very serious um, home issues. My dad lost his father very young. Um, and I won't get into the, too much of the details out of respect for my family. Um, mm -hmm. There's, but suffice it to say, there was some troubling um, things that happened early on amongst the family members, and a lot of stuff that we just don't really talk about, or has taken a long time to deal with, um, and accept and forgive and uh, understand. It's, mm -hmm. it's a rarity that things happen in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. So it's taken me um, a good portion of my 20s to understand that trauma is something that is uh, gifted from generations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, yeah, so as far as the mental health aspect, we just didn't talk about it. Like, they found I was in middle school cutting myself, and we, it was my parents found out um, through a friend of mine and they we kind of brushed it off I like talked my way out of it and only recently have I like when I told my parents about it being bipolar and antidepressive like reference um, recently they were like oh yeah there was that one time if we would have that was a misstep that would have changed everything for you for a long while but mm -hmm. it's I, it's one of those situations where you, I assume as a parent, you want the best for your child and like, you can't help but want to believe them when they say, it's good, I'm done, I'm fine, everything's fine. Mm -hmm. So I kind of, I don't blame them. We didn't really necessarily, I don't know, it was, every, everything's chaos all the time. So it's like, I have, I was the third of three kids going through life and they were old getting to be on the older side as parents and going yeah we just didn't I kept myself because that's the way that I am and just didn't really I knew something was up <laughs> when like <laughs> I was like walking through my high school being able to like see beauty beaming from everyone and everything at all points <laughs> and like go and like um, my manifest, my like manic manifestation being communing with nature and like having deep, deep, like at, at one point, full on conversations with trees, um, where, yeah, we just didn't talk about it, but I knew something was up, but it took me a long while as you were just saying, like as a man, it's not easy to get to that point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
Yeah, that's some deep cuts. <laughs> no, no, no um, pun intended, but that is some deep cuts. <laughs> I will absolutely go that dark. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, and man. then how did you, kind of going through all of that, how did you find music in in your use? <laughs> um, thankfully, I mean, my mom just had all of us play piano we um <laughs> i remember seeing my sister uh, at a piano lesson when i was eight years old and i was sitting on this chair and watching my piano lesson her my mom my sister's piano lesson her mom was there and we were walking out and she was like uh the teacher miss mucky shout out to miss mucky um <laughs> uh was like okay i'll okay daniel i'll see you next week and i was like what and I like, looked at my mom. She was like, oh, yeah, you're going to do this next week. I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There's no um, talking about it. It's just no. you're learning piano now. <laughs> it was like literally, it was just like, a, oh, cool. <laughs> so shout outs to mom of like a something that has uh, been the most fundamental, a, a fundamentally important aspect of my entire life. <laughs> um but like, yeah, we just so she just did that, and then I had a wild hair. My brother did trombone in middle school for like a year and a half, and my parents foolishly bought him one for his birthday, and he hated it <laughs> for it, and then quit. Um, and so when I was in middle school, I like, or I went and just like wanted to do band, and so we had a trombone, and um, yet another comical story from my mother of where. I had signed up for like trumpet and percussion or like percussion and trumpet and something else. And the uh, band leader or the band director kind of like looked me up and down, held me by the shoulder. She's like, you're tall. You have big lips. You should play trombone. <laughs> and I was like, okay, okay. All right. <laughs> and then uh, I went home. My mom's like, I don't care what you signed up for. We have a trombone. You're playing trombone. <laughs> like, <laughs> and and yeah <laughs> so and then like a year later was when i mean as i said earlier that's when i started writing poetry the symptoms started um manifesting and it was the place where i felt safe mm -hmm. it was the place where i didn't have i like because i started having a lot of trouble with my my mom and dad and like my brother and sister my sister had left she's eight years older than me so she's i have one sister and one brother they're five and eight years older than me my sister was gone when i was in fourth grade and my brother left when i uh between seventh and eighth grade and so eighth grade all of a sudden i was an only child dealing with my family wow. and like all all of a sudden this new depression and didn't really have great set of friends and was really unhappy and um there's this song in advanced band called into the storm and it was the first time i had really like been a part of a piece of music that was creating reality mm -hmm. like it just created this universe of a storm passing over a place and you get to the eye of it and then it goes goes back through and goes away and it was I've always had this mental attachment, like, um, 
young, I started getting really vivid visualizations from music. Mm -hmm. And that was the first one that first time I had, I just get full body chills and like almost out of body experiences from it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I think to, to relate, I, so with, with doing music in middle school, I was very, um, or even starting music in elementary school, I started when I was in fourth grade and it was something that I was actually pushing for. I was trying to get out of going home. <laughs> I was trying to get out of going home and I wanted to stay at school more. And so like, I would just join everything. I joined French club. I joined math club. I joined, I joined when I heard about music, I'm like, Oh my God, are, there's instruments. I want one. <laughs> and I, I signed up for flute and there was no flutes. So I missed my chance at being Lizzo. but i did get trombone and i she's like these are the only ones we have left and i said i'll take it and she goes what i'm like i'll take the instrument it's fine and she goes but you wanted flute i'm like i don't care i just want this one <laughs> just give me an instrument so i can start playing it <laughs> and then um basically i uh i i started doing that and then there was just like this push of me to like do more after school with it instead of just doing like the normal like in school lessons um and then going into middle school is when i discovered my my appeal to jazz and when when i started jazz it was like really fun because like all these tunes like they hit different right you're i mean it's it's so much different than playing like kumbaya from like the red standard of excellence book yeah, a little bit. <laughs> or hard cost buns but when you're playing <laughs> <laughs> but when i uh started jazz like i started to feel a lot different about playing my instrument and i started to get those like kind of like out of body experiences where it's like wow i'm really translating this thing and speaking a different language and it i feel like i'm on not like i'm on a different plane but like i just feel kind of like i, I kind of feel super saiyan about it <laughs> hell yeah <laughs> i don't know if you like i i don't know if i'm describing it the same aesthetics as you but that's kind of how i kind of felt <laughs> my uh, instrument yeah. no totally i remember um I recently refound this memory of mine. Um, I remember being, I must have been five or six, and it was the moment that I was like sitting in the front seat of my mom's 1990 Isuzu Trooper and looking at the radio and realized that the sounds coming out of it was a person. Oh. And it was this like, it was magic. It was like realizing this magical thing was something that humans were doing and therefore I could do. Mm -hmm. And it was just mind blowing. Yeah. And yeah. So just like going, yep, yes, this, like the more and more I go <laughs> through it. And honestly, like as I've, go, I've gone, gotten older, that's how I feel about all of art is that it's just, it's just this magic that we get to do and like where as I've gotten older, more and more, I keep going, what do you mean like I have to be a jazz or classical trombonist only? 
remember being so confused by when I would in, invite people at San Jose State to go to like the art art galleries and the people would go, nah, I don't really know. I'm like, what? What? Like, why? How are people not enjoying all of these? It's like, I, I love seeing paintings and reading poetry and going to the theater and like, again, my mom, my mom's actually just, you know what? My mom's awesome. Um, she also like would get us to, we go to the theater when I was young and like, I eventually, I had to find ballet on my own, but like we would, yeah, they were like part of this theater company that we'd every once in a while go and see a show. Wow. And so, yeah, it was just very like, I mean, culture was important to my mom in that way. And she loved, she always loved um, poetry and her and I like locked up in, as I got into high school about stand up, we used to watch stand up together on Fridays and like would dissect what we liked about it or didn't like about it and just that exploration and enjoying all different disciplines mm -hmm. and so it's just it's all just magic it's all just mad it's this reminder that we're not that we all feel and that we all feel alone yeah it's just uh, like it sounds scraping. like your mom really conditioned your uh perspective yeah, in, like, a very hands-off way in a lot of it. It was just that um, my grandfather, like, who was the one of the most unique and nicest individuals I've met in my life, um, her father was uh, a scientist and just the most inc inquisitive and inquiry, like, why, how come, with joy, like, the, a joy of learning and a joy of asking questions and that being my mom's perspective as well um <laughs> so when getting into whatever i got into it was just it was never a a thing that i like never had trouble wanting to learn things it was always just this it let's yeah cool what's this like um so yeah, that side of my family definitely was develop important in my development of just of uh, wandering and searching and turning over rocks and exploring the meadow that you can barely see in the distance and making sure you're enjoying the trees along the way. Mhm. Mm mhm. Mm wow. And then, why do you mind going into your whole experience? moving from your hometown into San Jose State? Yeah, shit. Okay. Um. <laughs> By the way, we did have a long discussion earlier about this, but we <laughs> I didn't really get my part on tape. <laughs> so, sure. but we can we can we can replay. We can uh, do a take 2. <laughs> well, I mean, I and we talked a little bit about um, San Jose to New York, but uh, Elk Grove to to San Jose was an equally um, trying situation it was like i'm a small town boy like even out here i like realized how much of a, like a cowboy upbringing i had like the clo two closest things to my house growing up were uh, a bar that was called the wrangler and it was literally like less than a mile from my house the only establishment that was that took money was the wrangler 
which is literally <laughs> over a railroad tracks. Like we drove over a railroad tracks, and that's where the Wrangler was. And <laughs> the the rock like gravel parking lot was full of Ford F two fifties, and across the street from that was a feed store. And it was like where the the Elk Grove High School home of the thundering her football players would work at the summer to like throw around a bunch of stuff as like weight training it was the most <laughs> like they like full of wrangler jeans and cowboy boots and and big belt buckles that i adored um definitely spent a good portion of elementary school in cowboy boots like grew up on 10 acres like it's it was not quite i wasn't full country because i was still my mom and like I was born in LA and that's my parents had lived there for 15 years but because of that my upbringing was a weird both of those like we when we moved there there wasn't a there was one grocery store and no movie theater we could oh. drive into Sacramento like it was in the sticks yeah it yeah. seems it seems pretty uh twilight zone like very <laughs> it sounds very rustic <laughs> yeah it's a lot of it uh and then, like, just the surrealness of being the fastest-growing city in the U.S. while I was living there, we, all of a sudden, there was a Walmart, and that was the beginning of the end. <laughs> Anytime so, I hear anything about Walmart, <laughs> it's so not good. <laughs> no. Well, and that was their whole business structure for a long time. They were the Amazon of the physical world, of where they would go into small towns and pop up shop and then destroy like completely decimate the family owned businesses and the economics of that place and my town was no different i had because they also i mean once you have once you have a walmart then you might get um a starbucks and another mcdonald's and a boba tea shop and a lowe's and a, like it was just this they just started building houses and strip malls and houses and and did that for like a decade. It was crazy. It was it had improved. It had gained whatever. Um, it had grown a lot by the time I was in high school. The population doubled in the four years that I was in high school. It was absolutely insane. I remember when the driving changed. There's whole fields of my youth that are now houses, and houses and houses. Um, so that was a very unique experience. And then moving to the big city, San Jose, <laughs> like was, <laughs> was both, um, I knew, I remember someone asked me if I was going to the local community college or the local college when I was in my senior year. And I laughed and like looked at Scott, I was like, no, God, no. And realized that it had never even occurred to me to stay local. It's not, um, but then it was trying. I like didn't talk for the first two weeks I was in San Jose. I was, it was a huge change. There was sidewalks on the streets and there was like, <laughs> like people everywhere and all the buildings were smashed together. And like, it was just this, <laughs> such a fish out of water experience. But like I had, I had seen other places by then. I, I got the opportunity to travel um, a fair amount in my youth, so I had gotten to see some stuff, but it was still like a very, very big change. Mm -hmm. um, and then music school was amazing and got better at like a lot of stuff. 
and got worse at a lot of stuff and <laughs> didn't learn a lot of things that I needed to. Um, but it was great to get to explore people and <laughs> and I found rock climbing and drugs and <laughs> women and all the things that college is good for. Um, but eventually found, I mean, lo- especially like with California and the Bay Area, that like, that beautiful center of peace that is being around nature. And that, mm-hmm. I mean, again, going with my being man- manic depressive and having a deep sense of nature, a deep understanding of what, of being a part of this thing. Um, that was a lot of that city for me. Get to go learning to go hiking and camping and rock climbing and slacklining and just spending as much time outdoors as I could, um, and then the rest of the time in a four by ten box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think my transition going into San Jose State was very similar. Like you, you have a girl from the coast like from Monterey (laughs) where I'm used to seeing ocean everywhere. And then I move into San Jose and there's like, where's, where's the ocean? (laughs) Where's the horizon? Why can't I see, why can't I see the ocean? (laughs) Why is there, is that dust in the horizon? (laughs) No, I totally feel that. And then, um, that's where we met, I believe, um, at San Jose state. And like I said, at the beginning, um, like when I first started there, you were kind of like the first like group of people who I like kind of first interacted with. And, you know, still to this day, like I would say like you and Ferris and like a lot of the trombone studio, like you guys were like, are still like dear to my heart (laughs) in regards to section. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys were definitely like super inclusive and like really nice. And actually I remember one of the first things you told me I was bitching about, scales and different keys and i said man e E major is so stupid like why does that exist and you're like go practice it (laughs) (laughs) such a dick (laughs) that was so much of that section though oh my god oh my god go learn it why no maybe don't suck so hard and then uh then it won't then you won't be so bad oh my god there was such a playful pain in that section of we just it was us in the percussion sections that were just like out to win yeah and it was there was there was a certain kind of like militaristic get good aspect to that section that i still love of like where just like the being in wind ensemble and if one of the trombones messed something up we'd all just look at each we all just look at them <laughs> just like <laughs> like everybody knew everybody knew we just go yo okay dude hey uh like just say nothing and just have six people look at you when you mess one note up oh my god dude it was so like write it in (laughs) it was like it was write it in that's an a flat (laughs) oh my god you're making us look bad oh just like but then getting that to like be, we're nailing this to the wall. Like the trombones just never, we just would go a semester without getting talked to. Like <laughs> just going, yeah, no, that's the, that's the part. 
<laughs> so fun. And, and I mean that, oh man, that's so funny. Yeah, that's a terrible thing to tell someone, but that was that section. <laughs> yeah, no, it was okay. Like it rung a bell in me. I didn't think you were being a dick. I didn't think you were being mean. Like anybody else who's confronted me about making my own mistakes at that school, like there was like a select few who they would say it. I'm like, wow, you're being really fucking condescending. But like when you would say things, it's like, yeah, of course, I'll go do it. <laughs> why that that rang different with you but it was just (laughs) yeah no so and I did I went into the practice room and then like I worked on all of like the dumb skills that trombone players are not conditioned to learn in in elementary school and high school because we're only stuck with like oh here's f major here's b flat major here's e flat major which is fucking easy because that hits all the weird like next to the bell notes (laughs) which also b flat major is not the best key for trombone it's such a like, can we just have all the trombone players starting out learn c major it just works so much better on the horn like, this idea that b flat is good for trombone players like hey day one let's have you have the longest reach and change in positions on the instrument um that you'll have to deal with that be having the first two notes you have to play as a trombone player be b flat and c is stupid and cruel like why 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 are we doing this yeah yeah no i i remember teaching some elementary school kids and they would either they would heat they hit the b flat and never make it to c or they would hit f and then they would hit f and they would get b flat but they were like what the fuck is this c shit like yeah Yeah. it's it's, it's like the most difficult no just let's just do c major let's just do c major let's just do it it's way better it's way better its job uh it will be a little bit cumbersome to find the note because uh, it's it's further out. But then you have four notes coming in that they're going to under... Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Just a little inside baseball for the podcast. A little inside baseball. It's okay. Anyone who, who loves brass, I will hashtag brass. <laughs> Good. So, well, while we're here, I'm just going to say one other thing. Uh, lip slurs... Start in seventh. Why are we starting with the highest lip slurs in first position as if that's a good idea? Oh, so I I'm, hear you. <laughs> dude, that was like one of my like, in, like going, this is, I just found a secret on this instrument. Lip slurs so. starting in seventh. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I was thinking about that a lot. I'm like, maybe I should start doing, start doing, you know, lip slurs in seventh to start instead of starting them in first place because I get really lazy when I start from first place going to seventh. It's better yeah, if I start. <laughs> yeah, just start. And even like at, at first, do in sixth because that's a more comfortable key center for you anyway. It's a, <laughs> okay, so now your first lip slur is in F um, and you know those notes super solid and then you're gonna, to get them to sound good, you need more air. So by the time you get into first, you're gonna be, you're gonna have the air and the, um, the embouchure set in a way that it's going to be easier to hit the higher. Yes, do it. And so, <laughs> do it. Do it. Sorry, I like how you cut off your rant and you're like, yes. <laughs> My second cup of coffee is kicking in. Um, I, yes, it 100% works and is helpful and uh, glad I found it. All of you, band, all of you band directors out there, um, do that to your students (laughs) have that be the thing yeah anyway 
So now I'm adding a new hashtag, hashtag band directors, hashtag elementary music. <laughs> hashtag high school music, hashtag college music, hashtag pro trombone players, hashtag... Hashtag uh, standard of excellence. Yeah, hashtag, hashtag brass. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. Um. <sighs> but yeah, like going back to like some of those memories, like yeah, I do remember like late night late night practice sessions were were fucking golden i think that's where i found like a lot of like my friends was just doing like late night practice sessions with everyone there and it felt yeah. good totally it's one of the beautiful things about music school was that when you're there at 10 o'clock and everyone else is there too and you're going oh this is what it takes you're like oh it's oh yeah no i'm I'm going to work till 1 o'clock in the morning and then go to my 9.30 class. Yeah. I'm going... Go ahead. No, I, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just being that. And, like, I, I recently had a conversation with somebody about this, of where the practice room is, is a thousand egos deaths a day. And learning myself and what life was through a practice room especially like from 18 to my mid mid late 20s of going what is the weakest part about me um how do i how do i make it better and developing a way to do that in a healthy mentality Mm -hmm. took years but is a mental fortitude and outlook on life that just about no one outside of the arts has like it's and maybe i'm in uh too close to see it in other or like too close inside this one to be able to see it other places and um i'd love to be wrong about it but it seems that there are many many other degrees that people go yeah this is good enough or i'm fine i got through that class everything's okay yeah but there's this thing about your sense of self um, being developed because of your practice room and how many times as a musician and an artist that like once I got my shit sorted out as far as my mentality my heart my soul my having breakfast like that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. where then without even practicing more something new would happen and something would sound better just because I took care of myself Mm-hmm. yeah great no i definitely agree yeah i kind of i i've definitely missed that from school but that was that was definitely a good era <laughs> sure um, uh, it's just hard to have it's hard to have that box um elsewhere that doesn't have also have like the internet and like rent attached to it you know what i mean like it's that place was so objective as a as a like it was a vacuum it was this place that you didn't have your you didn't have to worry about your roommates and your neighbors and your mom and yeah. all that stuff um it was just this place that you go okay cool like i don't have my laptop here or like my i don't know and like my, my dirty room that i need to clean and it's distracting and easier to do than ball you sit in that practice room and it's just okay cool let me disappear into this world now yeah no i agree <clears throat> That's actually such a good point that you brought up. Like, 
there's no rent attached. There's no, there's no one there. Like people know, like if you're in there to work, you're in there to work. Um, unless they absolutely have to interrupt you for something, then it's usually for like a good reason. Um, trying to think of what else. Yeah. And then you could, you have the option of having lights on and being oh, able to read your parts, but like having the lights off while practicing and warming up was like a different, a different way to kind of, you know, get in touch with your instrument and making sure that everything feels a little bit more internalized. It was joy, such a joy. Mm-hmm. I used to, uh, I used to flip the, um, the bench for the piano and put it on the sustain pedal. Oh, I remember and that. <laughs> Everybody's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm a genius. Go away. Um, And would hit, yeah, like hit like octaves and a fifth and then just like do long tones and just play. And it was just, oh, such a, such a joy. Maybe you should now, instead of like a bench, maybe next time bring a brick, you weirdo. (laughs) (laughs) It was already there. It was already there. I was doing it with my foot for a long while, but I couldn't get the trauma. I couldn't go into sixth. (laughs) My knees started hurting, and it was just a problem. I bring a brick everywhere. Whatever. (laughs) Okay, now I just, now I just on my keyboard will uh, flip the polarity on the. The, like the switch and it'll just do it and i don't have to even worry about it so oh like, i'm so artificial i have that tuner app and there's a there's a oh. there's a uh, feature on it where you could hit two notes at the same time as a drone and mm-hmm. so i'll do fifths with that and i'll have like a oh, speaker yeah. so that way it's playing at me <laughs> nice. Nice. but i do miss like have hearing you know the 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 natural overtones while your instrument is playing because it also hits the strings as well from the piano so you oh can God, actually yeah. you can actually hear like what your notes are doing with what is tuned to the piano mm-hmm. um so i i guess i won't get that same sensation maybe i'll just buy a brick <laughs> whatever also mine's a keyboard i don't there's no strings involved i'm not like i'm not better than you <laughs> No, I just also play a bunch of piano, so I'm like, I want to play the piano, at least to just, like, touch the keys. Yeah, yeah. So. And then, um, if you don't mind me talking about this, uh, you were in 7th Street for a little bit. Um, Hell yeah. As a reminder to those who are listening, I am in 7th Street Great Band. That's probably the only band I'm in at right at this point. <laughs> um, but you were one of the first, I believe you were one of the first members of the band, so you want to get into that? Yeah. I was there day one in the wrong direction in Gabby's kitchen. <laughs> I think it was, who, I think Ferris was reading off of the, like, the something to his right. Oh, what the hell was it? It was like there was just no space, and it was hilarious. <laughs> um, and, yeah. But, like, first off, like, I've never, I, I, every one of your successes I feel it's I've, I'm so proud of you all, and it's been an absolute joy to see um, all of the, everything go so well. The album sounds great. Um, the video, I'm excited to see the video. Like it's just, oh, it's just been a joy to watch it all all occur. Um, 
uh yeah it was a it was just a kick-ass band there was something magical in the room where i was in other i mean at that point my life i think i was in seven bands or something um and ferris was like yeah dude uh come on and then the band just had it It was just it all came easy um and then i mean and then there was always beer and shit talking (laughs) (laughs) which was just constant hilarity of a bunch of a bunch of grimy 20-somethings standing outside in some random house in San in, in San Jose uh in a in a, a group of streets that are named after Disney princesses <laughs> like going this parking sucks and <laughs> and me like rifling through a filthy Honda Civic um getting my shit out and going to these gigs and it was great it was super fun it was just like um a bunch of us had been a part of a established uh, you as well um 19 another big band that was in the area that was like the old guard um and they're a great band in their own regard but it's just cool to be amongst friends and like it we just had a it had a great vibe and gabby and it was like one of the first bands that I had been in that wasn't just San Jose State or just West Valley College or just the jazz school. It was like, it was the mixture of a bunch of cool people doing a bunch of cool stuff. And it just, it's just a killing band. Yeah. Yeah. I almost forgot that you went to the, the jazz school over in Berkeley. Yeah. Yeah. That was a fun time, man. I got to meet some crazy good players over there. Yeah. No, I, I really like that school. Or, like, basically the production of that school is just really nice. I've, I've only been there to see performances. Sure. Um, but I occasionally look through their catalog of, like, classes, and everything looks really cool. Oh, dude, go. It was... <laughs> I mean, if... Um, Shout-outs to Jeff Denson, who's, like... Um, was... I'll never forget this moment. He ended up being, he's this bass player. His new album, Brian Blades, playing drums on it. He is, he introduced me to Lee Konitz, like, is a legend. Um, But he, I didn't know who he was. I, like, walked in on the first day. Gertz and I, Gertz and I, (laughs) Danny Gertz and I would commute up there. I got him addicted to caffeine because I was so addicted to caffeine. And we would take these. (laughs) these hour-long drives to and from um the jazz school because we lived together where it was just just girths being road rage and me laughing about it and us getting to play some jazz sometime in there and we would come we would come to these rehearsals just coming in hot like we'd had an hour in a car in the car shit talking and high on caffeine and come to these rehearsals and be like woo woo like, <laughs> And everyone's like, how are you this awake right now? Going, I, never mind. Anyway, the, the first one I took up there, um, I didn't know who Jeff Denson was. He was actually playing bass in the ensemble. And he he um, pulled his bow across the string to tune. And something in my soul was like, this person will be paramount to my musical development. Like, what came out of the instrument was like, oh, this dude's, uh, yep. I'm going to follow this guy around and ended up walking around asking him questions for like a year and a half or something. Cause that whole chunk of the time that I was out of school, I just ended up 
going and l- learning all I could um, mm-hmm. over there. They have like a, a jazz theory class that you you learn the jazz theory with your instrument in hand. I like that. It's so sick. It was such a cool program. It's also ridiculously expensive. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, no, that's a great program. There's just some like all it's it's the who's who of the best guys in the area. It's every single dude that I mean, yeah, it's a great it, yes. Thanks for bringing that up. It was a good time. I loved it over there. <laughs> they're doing a cool thing. Yeah, they're doing a definite like cool thing. I met, I guess. I'm not sure who it was, but, like, there's been a couple times where, like, I would see their school, um, like, at different, like, little festivals. Like, they were at the Monterey Jazz Festival, Next Generation Festival, and I mm-hmm. talked to the lady, and I recognized some of the people in the catalog. Like, I did see, like, Dylan Votto. <laughs> oh, yeah. Who is... <laughs> talk about a success story. Like, oh, my God. Like, yeah, he was on the catalog, and Gers was on the catalog, and I was just oh, like, yeah. I was just, I was picking fun at it because it, these were people that I recognized. So it's yeah. like. I was in there too. I got shit from the San Jose State faculty because I was on the catalog for, for the jazz school, <laughs> like while attending. I was just, they were like, what is this? I'm like, what do you want? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> what do you want? You should have appreciated me. You should have appreciated yeah, me, bro. <laughs> I'm okay looking and holding a trombone and getting to play what I want to play. Like, what do you, <laughs> come at me. <laughs> No, it's, it's that whole thing. It's like, okay, if I'm not being appreciated in one place, I'm going to go find more places to be appreciated at. Even though that wasn't your initial intent. <laughs> no, not at all. But hey, you all. got a shout out. <laughs> yeah. What I think also, like, I dropped off the face of the earth. Like, I think there's some people in at San Jose State who, like, just kind of assumed I died. Oh. Like, because I just was there one semester and then just no one saw me for, like, three years. It's funny because I think I, I would still see you. <laughs> I still yeah, saw you, you and I were like, we're like, hey, what's up, dude? Why aren't you at San- What's going on? I'm like, I, I don't know. <laughs> Haven't seen you. Haven't shared lockers in a bit. <laughs> oh, my God. I remember that. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so now, for not the big finale, but please tell me you're uh, – Actually, you know what? Um, what? We could talk about New York. I mean, I want you to talk about New York at some point, but you're during those three years that you were gone, you were doing a lot of jam sessions, like Stritch. Um, yeah. I do remember that you were at Blackbird a lot before Blackbird closed down. Yeah. Um, I think, did you do the Headley jams at all? Do you want to talk about your jam yeah. life? Uh, it was the most difficult thing to do all the time i remember spending most of my life in that period of every single time i got off stage wanting to quit music 100 <laughs> percent um it was hard it's a hard thing um i've always felt inadequate in the jazz world um i mean you just take the jazz world off of that too but it was down. It was a good thing to do. I was out doing it. Um, a lot of people I got to meet and introduce um, to build my chops, but like, and get to know the music. But it's just a hard, it's a hard way to play. Um, but it was a happy time as far as going and hanging out and just that 
that was the lifestyle. I mean, I had a, yeah, like Blackbird, I had a residency there with Quasar Collective, that was the band that, um, Mad Dog Sounds. <laughs> <laughs> Madison Bohr. <laughs> Madison Bohr, the madman himself. Uh, and I formed with Gertz and, um, Brian Simmons and um, shoot and oh and Bado but it was like this crazy intense little little band we had for a minute and then I had a, a trio that I played with I had a monthly over it at Stritch when it was opening up um, and then I had my DJO trio that we played I started getting a gig at the airport that I was playing every once in a while. I had um, um, Matt, um, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, it was a lot. Of, I played all the time. I was in play. I was playing everything I could get my hands on, all day, every day. I had a um, a gig teaching at um, community school for music and arts in Mountain View was just practicing and playing and doing that life as much as I could wanted to get good mm-hmm. um, yeah I don't no I, I just wanted to say like um, yeah like a, a lot of the times when you know when people would kind of that was the extra activity that was that was available for if you're not practicing at San Jose State you can go to a jam session instead Um, but I do definitely appreciate your perspective on how you would feel after these jam sessions because, um, I've actually gotten to, and like, oh my gosh, I hope like, you know, people that come to my door with like pitchforks and fucking torches, but I, (laughs) I actually started to fall out of doing jam sessions because I wasn't in love with it anymore. Yeah. It doesn't feel good. I don't feel good. Um, the last one I did, I actually hosted the five points jam session and someone knocked over my instrument, not once, but twice. And I I don't mean to make it into like a sad story, but it it was just like one of those things. I'm like, am I a fucking joke? Like my instrument fell twice. Like, I don't want to do this ever again. Um, and even before then, like I was even hesitant to come out to these sessions. Like, so there's a, I, I'm sure you've heard about it, but there's a new jam session in town called Five Points Jam Session. It's yeah. It's the person who's mostly leading them or uh, coordinating them is Oscar uh, Peng Lemon. Oh yeah. Yeah, and he's been actually been really great with like being very inclusive. Like he picks someone basically within his like immediate friend group or someone who's been consistently going to the jam um, to I host it. Everyone just, just hosted it. Yeah. Yeah. And so he picks someone and he says, hey, what dates do you want to do? And then he gives you like a, like a, a, a format of like directions to follow and like where you can, can get all your gear and then like how to promo it and all that stuff. And also San Jose, Jazz, he has collaborated with San Jose Jazz to help promo it. Um, and so he, right. he does pick a lot of people from 7th Street to do it because I think he does realize that 7th Street, and I'm just guessing, I'm not really saying this is what it is. Um, but he has noticed that Seventh Street has been like you know creeping up in the ranks in regards to like their their uh, presence in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has asked me to do it twice, and I only did it once. But 
even before then, like, going to jam sessions, like, I didn't like the whole thing of putting my name on the list and then being told, like, oh, you only get to play once. Or... Yeah. And that's a California jazz session. That's a, that's a California jazz jam thing. That is not here. Oh. Nobody, no. Like, that whole, everybody gets 15 minutes and you walk up. No, it's like, there's an etiquette in New York of, like, maybe, like, max six soloists. Like, you go to the smalls or whatever, and it's, it's dudes mm-hmm. ripping. And, like, it's not a happy vibe. It's people, like, destroying the changes. Um, and there's no list. It's, like, if you, if you have, if you know the tune, you can play on it. Yeah. Um, but it's also, like, it's that same vibe. It's just, it's, uh, jam sessions are a pressure cooker. And it is not about rarely about music for music's sake it's much more often like people shedding changes and not necessarily get past their ego now if i was a better person at playing changes i'll bet you i'd love the hell out of them but real is (laughs) being real uh i'm not so that's just it doesn't it's not a comfortable place for me Mm -hmm. and being ultra aware and sensitive of like judgment and like other people's opinions of me it just it ends up being a um a not a happy place for me yeah yeah no i that's that I'm, I'm like paralleling you right now like that's how i i kind of feel i'm like i'm over it i don't i'm tired of being told to come out i'm being tired of told where are you and then when i do show up like i don't get any playing time or someone plays a chart that i don't know and then i'll tell them like okay well this is how i'm gonna adapt to the chart and they're like well why didn't you play the melody it's like yo like I could I can learn the whole index of books or of all the standards out of the real book plus some but in the end it's like I don't have that luxury to do that like I I have other jobs and I have to you know keep my head above water since I'm not being asked to gig everywhere yeah um, which is the nature of the instrument also it's like yeah in all realness trombone you have to be such a killing trombone player to be considered for anything that it's just a rough life yeah and i and i accepted that like don't get me wrong so i've been kind of so i've been kind of doing like you know other things and then i've been really trying to vow myself i'm if i'm going to play trombone i'm going to make sure i'm playing trombone and i feel good by the end of my gig i'm not going to feel like shit at the end of my gig if i feel like shit at the end of my gig and it's with a group and it's for more than three gigs straight i'm done that's a great rule yeah, it was always the um two. It needed to be two out of three for me. It was uh good money, good people, good music. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. I I ended up getting a lot of joy. Um, Ferris Jarrah, shout out to Ferris Jarrah. That guy made me more money in San Jose than I made for myself. That's for sure. Um, but he got me into a salsa band, and that ended up being all of my my best experiences at a lot of my best experiences as a musician, like a lot of my really big career moments um, in the Bay area were because of the salsa scene mm-hmm. of where trombone is just needed and glorified and just works. It's like, you need the kind of um, sonority and power that trombone has. And like the saxophones can't, it's like, um, they just don't have quite the amount of projection that they needed 
that, that they need. So occasionally you'll get a berry sax, occasionally you get a soprano sax, but mostly it's like bands with like three trombones or two trombones and a trumpet. And so mm-hmm. it's, and it's just fun. It was like, I couldn't sleep the, the, the night after my first ever salsa band rehearsal. Couldn't sleep. It was like being strapped to the front of a jet plane. Um, just these ancient rhythms that you're bringing the party and getting to like just wail over. And it's just a great time. And so I had a lot of, and I have had gotten to, I mean, gotten to back to that a little bit here in, um, uh, in New York and kind of, and like being real about, uh, my own truths of going of that, like that idea with a real book of going, I, I could re I am learning those tunes and still want to learn those tunes. And like, there's an aspect of some of the, that stuff that I really want to, to know and appreciate and love and also I don't want to play There'll Never Be Another You three times a week for the rest of my life. (laughs) (laughs) And like, and that being true in the classical world too, is like seeing people who've been playing Nutcracker for their 15th year or 25th Mm -hmm. year going, I, this, these people are unhappy. Mm -hmm. Um, And then just people like it being a, a difficult there being some toxic vibes of some teachers who like people like wearing pride on their shoulder or on the chest of um going through traumatic experiences with teachers who make them cry and like people being cutty and mean and like going i didn't this is not what art is for me Mm -hmm. and that's like uh everybody who's doing it like I appreciate you and love what you're doing and I'll never try and tell you that jazz isn't anything but an amazing art form Um, but Mm -hmm. just eventually getting out here and having to be in the pressure cooker of New York and going I don't I can't do this I like I don't want to do this the way that I thought I did Um, and that's been a very very difficult set of questions and answers for me over the, the couple of years that I've been over here. Mm-hmm. And then, so with your experience with New York, um, you said you've been out there for how many years so far? I just broke into my fourth year in July. Okay. Are you driving much? <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> I sold my car before I left. I haven't stood in a parking lot in like three years. <laughs> it's the best. The, the, I'm assuming public transportation is fucking great. Or is it? It's, or is it not? It's, I love it. I love it. I'm Good. supposed to be in New York. I love it. I, uh, I, I got a lesson from um, Doug Beavers, who's a phenomenal salsa trombone player, who I had the pleasure of playing with on, on occasion. Um, I feel like I've heard that name before. He's a badass. He's a badass. He's like, <laughs> check him out. He's uh, he's amazing. Um, I, he's one. Of, he's one of like one of the nails in the coffin for me of moving out here was I took a lesson from him. He was I had. I don't remember exactly all the things that happened, but I took a lesson from him, and he was like, nope, nope, yes, 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 nope, nope, and I was taking lessons from somebody else, <laughs> who like was like, yeah, that, yeah, it's good enough, yeah. And so I was like, oh, shit, this is how it is. This is what I've been looking for. 
I don't need to pay sixty dollars to get blow, uh, smoke blown up my ass. Like I'm gonna go to New York and have this guy tell me um, to to get good. Um, but I took a lesson from him my first like week or two here, and I showed up in blue jeans and a black t-shirt and headphones on and my my horn on my back. <laughs> and he's like, "How long have you been here?" I was like, eh, "Like said like ten days." He's like, "You already got the vibe down." He's like, "I was just like, yes, like." Um, just, yeah, this is the city for me. I love it here. It's pure chaos and the land of distraction, and it's absolutely hilarious. It's terrifying. <laughs> Sorry, I think most of the things I think about New York is a, a combination between, like, James and the Giant Peach <laughs> and Spider-Man. Yeah, deep cut. <laughs> so, oh, God. Yes. Yes. So, so, so I lived in Astoria first, and there was a... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, please. Continue. <laughs> oh, I lived in Astoria first, and there was, like, a full geeky moment of mine that I, like, had a childish flush of joy, realizing I was living in Queens where Spider-Man is from. And... Or not even Spider-Man. Peter Parker was the thought. I was like, oh, my God, I'm living where Peter Parker's from. Um, and then had a full, like, moment before I was like, who's a fictional character? Um, who doesn't exist and didn't really live anywhere. How am I this excited about a, like, like happier moments than plenty other shenanigans in New York and just going, oh, wait. Yeah, that, like, that scene in one of the Spider-Mans where the, um, like, there's that big curve in the subway above ground. Mm-hmm. Um, he, like, stops the train with his body. Yeah. Is... It's in Queens. It's like I used to take that part of the train every day to get into Manhattan. Oh, shit. That's so cool. It's a trip. That kind of stuff happens. It's like this place is insane for that kind of stuff. <laughs> you just go, oh, wait. Oh, tr- oh yeah. This is here. It's there. And, like, it's not just movie stuff. Um, one of my favorite of those was I was coming off uh, doing something, blah, blah, blah. Found a place to eat randomly ended up being this french restaurant which was just really cute off the side of this bigger beautiful building that was like a like what the hell is this vibe and i was with some friends and look it up online to like try and figure out what the what the deal ends up being this like naval um hotel that like was where off-duty naval officers would stay for years and years now it's this like keeping that thing alive of just that vibe and then there's this giant bar open area downstairs that's just beautiful. Come to find out that's where the survivors of the Titanic um, stayed after they came to New York and were like and had their vigil three days afterward of all who they lost in the crash. Okay? No. Like, this is just <laughs> like this is just some random building I walked into on a Wednesday. Like what is this place? Like what how <laughs> the hell insane (laughs) um that sounds that's i really like how you're really touching upon all of like the non-touristy areas like oh yeah yeah like oh i saw the statue of liberty i can't climb it (laughs) or something like that or um or what's that what's that uh really popular park i can't remember the top of my head it's um not Times Square. Well, Times Square is also kind of like a touristy spot, right? Think about Central Park. 
Central Park, yeah. Yeah. Central Park is beautiful. Like, there's a bunch of those aspects. Central Park of, like, the touristy things is worth... The Bethesda Fountain is an absolutely gorgeous little... It's beautiful. Central Park is, is beautiful. But there's... Yeah, no, it's... We don't go to a lot of those places. Uh, like, I don't go to Manhattan with any regularity at all. I actually avoid it at most costs. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, is... Have you... So, I guess... What's my question? Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm like trying to, I'm like using you as eyes right now. <laughs> yeah, no, ask me all you want. Um... Uh, so, yeah, no, I, again, like, I think I really appreciate that you're finding all these little finds uh, with New York that you're, you're considering like very um, appealing and beautiful, um, aside from like all the touristy spots, which I've said before. Um, because yeah like a lot of the attention does go to all of these like more mainstreamy spots um but of course you uh you're always gonna find like the inner beauties of like any like little nook and cranny that you can find within the city so i'm really glad that you know you're still on the same you're still in the same lane about it um oh you know what here's one question it's really weird but where, where's the best place to get coffee in your immediate area uh, Aside from your instant I, coffee that you're drinking. Don't say that on a podcast. Oh, no. Call down forever. Everyone knows my deepest shame. Um, <laughs> that in confidence. Um, there's a spot next to me that, like, has solid... Um, coffee called milk and pool i found a spot called swallow cafe in williamsburg that like is the first spot that i found that like has pretty solid espresso and then there's one other spot i just went to recently that like was delicious also in like williamsburg pretty funny uh the name escapes me anybody who's in new york feel free to hit me up and i'll tell you but, yeah, there, there are a couple spots here. There, they're starting to pop up. As I told you earlier, third wave is just starting to get here. But um, yeah. and then um, I guess we'll try to get to kind of a closing note. But is there anything else you would like to share uh, before I ask the listeners of where they can get in touch with you or how to follow you? Sure. Um, I'd like to talk about my, my artist collective a little bit. Yes. What the art, art that I am doing now. Yeah, do it. Um, I run an artist collective called ECT, E-T-H-T, um, and it's a, I've been doing it for over a year now, and it's, uh, it's an amazing, it's the best community that I've found, um, it's been this thing that I believe in, and it's a wonderful existence of every type of discipline of art um, that is an amazing experience monthly event called Fear Love that is meet artists that are comedy, spoken word, poetry, music, theater, dance, whatever. We're trying to get more visuals. We had a um, video. It's just, we're, it's everything. And it's just this tight-knit community talking about um, that being genuine will, being vulnerable will create whole idea of it is to try and push ourselves as artists to do something that's a little bit uncomfortable, that we're, it's just like the Parisian salons of the 1800s, 
1800s that we're like going and showing art that's new and difficult and really putting ourselves out there because there's a lot of spots in New York that are for kind of the cookie cutter ideas of art. Mm-hmm. Like there are places like Bitter End that have a product that is good, palatable music that is easy, isn't challenging, but there's other spots that like there's just not that many spots for us to have a stage to perform exactly what we want and have a, a supportive listening environment to try stuff and explore as artists. It's been an absolutely phenomenal experience. Yeah. Um, no, that sounds awesome. So it just sounds like it's basically like a huge um, kind of like kaleidoscope of ideas into into one into one event. Um, what's been so? How many how many uh, events have you had so far, and which one do you feel like was your most memorable? Well, the Fear Love. I just did my thirteenth Fear Love. Um, we have another event called Same Same but different, which is like a house show kind of thing with some added bonuses in the fire pit um, that we're doing our 10th of that and then we've had we're starting to develop this connection goes to we're just trying to build this broader community um, of people that go and do stuff um, the fear love is always I it's impactful every single time um, I don't really have a favorite outside of uh, well actually there's one for me that was personally a big for me, I wrote a poem about a suicidal image that I'd had and shared it to this room of people and had like crazy support from a bunch of people afterward. Um, and yeah, it was just, it's just been amazing. Through and through, just this like crazy experience of just, uh, people just going hard on being out there and doing stuff. Yeah. Oh, that sounds amazing. The guy who founded it is like, so I found it through this band called The Dons, which actually we have a uh, an album on Spotify. The album's called Afogato. But it's this kick-ass funk band with these two friends that are now my friends and brothers that founded this thing that started in their bedsty backyard. And it's this wonderful experience and people being cool. And I played in the band with them and then played one of the, they were just starting to get back to X went to my first Fear Love, performed at my next one, and walked up to Paul, who's the, now just like my partner in it. Uh, we were four band teams that were running it. But uh, walked up to him and I was like, where do I sign? So let's do this every month. How do I, what do I do? Um, and now we're in the process of like, becoming a nonprofit, maybe? And like, it's gonna be, it's like a thing. We're really doing, and it's a really amazing No, that sounds awesome. I'm so glad that you're doing this. And just to reiterate, the group is, um, your artist collective is called ACT, right? ACT, E-C-H-T. We are ACT.com, um, soon to be ACT.NYC. And your monthly event is mostly called Fear Love, but of course it's not limited to. That's yeah, well that's, the, that's our main event right now. We're starting, we'll in the new year especially start to be doing um, more events. We actually have on the the beginning of December, we're just working out a like a celebration of the community year-end event that was going to have over 16 or over 15 performances um, 
in like a three-hour, four-hour show. I actually have a, I'm going to be premiering my first like, uh, video. It's like a aesthetic video that I'm going to be putting out. I'm going to do a performance on trombone and a performance of poetry. And like we have poets, we have dancers, we have a theater thing coming through. It's going to be like we're... It's a hell of a thing. We got some stuff going on. We are act on Instagram and like the whole thing and you know, support and reveal and no, it's a, it's an amazing thing and I love it to death and it's the coolest show that I've found in New York. And of course, I'm on the inside saying that, but um, it's something special when you're at an event and somebody messes up on stage and the the audience starts clapping in support. I love and it. Going, you, you got this, we got this, everything's cool. It's an amazing, amazing thing. That sounds amazing. Um, if you don't mind we uh, us wrapping up, aside from finding your projects on x.com, um, looking out for uh, Fear Love in New York, where else can uh, listeners find you? Sure, my main deal, um, Instagram is starting to ramp up a little bit, um, Affordable Nature. SoundCloud with some stuff, um, affordable nature, and or uh, Owens Music. Those are those things. And then I think, I mean, you're inspiring to kick back up a podcast that I've been trying to start called Arts Art State. So any of those spots. I know what medium I'm going to put out Art State on. I got to talk to you about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give you some insights of what I've been doing. It's no problem. <laughs> All right. Um, so I think we're going to, you know, say goodbye to everyone. And thank you so much again for your time. I know. I don't know how many hours of a difference we're on, but it's like it's 11 o'clock. It's 11.30 right now. I don't know what his time yeah. is right now over there. It's three, it's three hours ahead. It's like 2.40 right now. Okay. So you're, you're nice... You're nicely cozy in the afternoon. <laughs> Living easy. Living easy. on my bed this whole time. <laughs> All right. But thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you doing this. It's great to reach Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm really glad to talk to you after you, you know, you got yourself, you know, pretty much seasoned over there. So, um, of, you know me, I've always had much love for you. So, <laughs> all right, this, again, this is Daniel Owens, um, and don't cast and drive. <laughs> I know my awkward goodbyes. <laughs> all right, have a good one, guys. Silence made me write this song You shut me up, you let me down Girl, and I moved on to another town And now I'm singing Janine Oh, I'm singing Janine
Dry that life no more. 